Fox couldn't get it cleanly. It's going to be played out and down the ice. And that one's going to bounce down, and that is going to do it. The UBC Thunderbirds with an upset for the ages as they knock off the number one seed, University of Alberta Golden Bears. And the T-Birds are going to the national tournament. Unbelievable. Welcome back to the What's Up With You podcast. I'm Ben Steiner, and as always, joined by Justin Levine here on the What's Up With You podcast as part of the 49 Sport Network. We've got quite the show for you today, a lot of topics to discuss. We'll start off with the news out of U Sports. Graham Brown uh, parted ways between U Sports and him after five years with him as CEO and president of the organization, in which he saw the rebrand from CIS SIC over to U Sports. And then after that, we've got a conversation with my classmate, Ryerson University sport media student, Colonel Purrier, about his experience in sport, as well as his thoughts on the current events taking place in the United States and across the world. After that, Justin spoke with Liz Knox, former Laurier Golden Hawks goaltender, turned PWHPA and national team member. And then we've got a reversed cross-country skate, where we don't take a look at the recruiting of players coming into U Sports, but we take a look at the players going out and turning to the professional game. And then we talk a bit about some OUA favorites of ours, favorite arena, favorite song, favorite concession, just some real casual stuff to end off the episode. So Justin, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to have you back on. Always glad to do this weekly. Always a pleasure. And so I guess to start off, we're going to touch on Graham Brown was has parted ways with U Sports after five years. Were you expecting to see this coming? It was sort of out of the blue. Yeah, this is very out of the blue, and I don't think that you know anyone really expected this. And I know that he remodeled U Sports from CIS, and so I think with that, people had their different thoughts and interpretations. However, with that being said, I don't think that there was anyone who said, okay, I don't think that he's the right idea for us anymore. So no, I don't think this was expected. I know there were some mixed reviews about his management, uh, whether it be in the CEO role or the presidential role. Uh, he definitely oversaw the CIS to U Sports rebrand. But other than that, I haven't really seen much in the way of progress for Canadian University Sport. And even though 49 only really became a thing in September of 2019, uh, what would be your thoughts on sort of the U Sports brand and what it represents, and I guess just the look uh, of U Sports? I think it gave it a more professional feel almost, and I think that a lot of the involved players and staff really appreciated that because you know this isn't just a beer league, and yeah, they're they're connected to school, but it doesn't mean that they should still you know have that professional feel, especially because a lot of the things that schools offer uh, when you look at the hockey teams. 
they're more professional than, uh, you know, certain pro leagues. When you look at, I'll use women's hockey, given my expertise as an example, schools are offering more than than women's hockey leagues have been offering to their players. So I think that absolutely that this professional feel was something deserved and uh, was something that was really important. So, you know, I'll commend Brown for that. And so coming in to replace Brown, at least in the interim, is Dick White, the former athletic director at the University of Regina. Uh, We'll have to wait and see whether he gets that job permanently, but for now, and probably guiding the return to play, it will be Dick White in that position. But it made me think, what do you think eSports could do to attract more of a following? And if you were the incoming president, what would be some big priorities you have? All right, so I'll start off with your first question being, what do you think U-Sports could do better to attract more of a following? And, you know, I love that OUA TV is a thing to uh, be able to show, you know, all the sports uh, any day of the week that they're airing. However, do I think it's enough? I don't. Even if it's a small local network, whatever it might be, I absolutely think that that's um, an important step that they you know, at least consider CBC Gem, just something small. It doesn't have to be huge, but something more than OUA TV because, you know, yes, it was a step in the right direction, but I just don't think it was enough. So I think that that's um, to attract more of a following for those who can't be there or just for the fact of its own that youth sports hockey teams don't attract a huge number of people on a daily basis. I think that that's an important uh, way to go. And so when we take a look at streaming across eSports, RSEQ teams are responsible for their own streams. The AUS has a free service. OUA has a free service that's part of Yard TV and that whole software that's pretty easy to manage. And then Canada West actually charges around $80 for their service, which is similar to the OUA service through Yard TV. I know there's been some chatter about OUA TV possibly turning to a subscription-based service. Do you think it should be free? Uh, or would you be happy turning OUA TV into a subscription-based service? I think, you know, right now, the fact that they're offering it free is a good thing. And I'm going to say that for two reasons. And one being, again, they're following. It's not big enough to attract such a huge number of viewers, A, and then the money uh, coming from that, B, I don't think it would be all too huge, so I don't know that that's necessarily the best route to walk down. And number two, again, it's uh, U-sports, they're not exactly popular to the outside eye outside of school communities, so I don't know that it's the right idea, but even just smaller TV networks, like I said, is something to at least consider. Definitely an idea to consider, especially when you think of sort of the OJHL or GOJHL. Uh, They have these small TV deals that will at least put on sort of a game of the week sort of thing uh, on local television. Yeah, and whether it be, you know, hockey TV or, again, CBC Gem or uh, local City Rogers TV channel, like the the one that uh, is used across uh, Cambridge, Kitchener, Guelph, and uh, some other regions, uh, not all of which I know the name of, but certainly something that can't hurt and something that they should at least look at, if not completely consider. So if you were the incoming president, what are you doing to bring esports to that next level? Uh, I mean... Everything has really been tried, but you must have a few ideas, and I know I've got a few myself. Yeah, so here's one of my ideas. If you're looking at the school environment itself, you're not seeing these huge posters of uh, the players to promote not only the, not only the school athletics, but any sport itself. So I think that having more of that, or for some schools, having it at all, 
would be a huge thing to catch the eye, draw that audience. I think that that's crucially important. So there's uh, probably one of my biggest sellers. Yeah, for me, I would agree on some points. I think the most important that you really hit the nail on the head on is you have to engage the student body. Because I know, at least at Ryerson and working around UBC as well in the past, there really isn't publicity for the sports teams outside of homecoming or other events like UBC has the Winter Classic. Of course, the uh, Colonel By Classic in Ottawa, Car Harris Cup in Kingston. Like, there are a few things where this is popular, right? But I think we can both agree that it needs to get to the students because if you get it to the students, then you have the uh, those students graduate, they become alumni, and it's like they have that feeling in them that they're going to pass down to their family and kids like they do in the States. Uh, so I think both of us can sort of agree that engaging the student body has to be the priority before you can sort of outreach uh, to the non-student body community. Absolutely. But, you know, I'll pose you the question, the same one that you just asked me. For a general, more attractive following, what do you think eSports has to do in order to achieve that? I think getting back on national TV is a big one. They signed that deal with CBC I forget exactly how long it was for to have those games on some cable TV packages on the CBC channels as well as online. But I think having it on Sportsnet, especially the University Cup for Hockey, uh, and having U Sports be featured in Sportsnet U or Sportsnet Central and those kind of sports update shows is still a significant thing, even though the media landscape is changing still having new sports put into those highlighted situations are really big things. So I think it'd be great to get it back on sort of a regular sports network, um, whether it's CBC putting in a bit more effort to it or getting it back on Sportsnet or TSN, especially sort of the high profile events like the University Cup or Vanier Cup. I think that's kind of all we have for this portion of the podcast. Coming up, we've actually got two interviews. We have an interview Uh, As I mentioned before, with Colonel Purrier, my classmate at Ryerson University, uh, speaking about some of the current events in the world, as well as his experience in sport. And then Justin, as I said, also spoke to uh, Liz Knox. So we'll catch you on the other side of those two interviews uh, with the reverse country scape. So we'll see you on the other side. Now welcoming to the podcast, Colonel Purrier. He's a classmate of mine at Ryerson University studying sport media as well, who has played sports and is trying to make his way in sport media. So I thought he would be a great guest to bring on the podcast today to discuss sort of what's happening in the world and where everything is right now. Because of course, Justin and I, we can't offer as much insight just being who we are. So Colonel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Ben and Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. So what are your reactions to what's going on right now across the world, mainly in the United States? Obviously, it's very saddening to watch all of the videos and to see all the pictures of so much so much unrest within the African-American community. It's sad to see. And, you know, I hope that um, we are able to make our voices heard. We're able to really stand up for what's right. And I hope that we can have justice for George Floyd and all of the other African-American people who've been murdered by the police. And I hope that, you know, we can have a positive change as a result of this whole thing. And are there any changes that you're sort of starting to feel, whether it's people posting on Instagram, uh, which of course is not, it's only really a beginning, but sort of, do you feel like the message is getting heard better than it has in the past? Definitely. I feel that a lot more people are starting to take notice. And I think that there are a lot more people that are starting to care. It's great to see people of 
all different backgrounds, white, black, Latino, you know, the list goes on, just coming together and being able to support the community. Um, I still obviously think that more needs to be done. I still think that there needs to be more awareness, there needs to be more education. And I think we need to do more to fight the inequalities in the system. But I like the start that, that we have right now. Here's a good question for you. How do you think that sports can help? Because, you know, they're all releasing statements, but not all of them say we're going to do this as a course of action. Uh, the Tempe Rays have, though, saying that they're going to help to donate to certain places. And, you know, while it might be small to start, so can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, so um, I think that it's great that um, certain organizations are speaking out and creating awareness. But um, as you said, I think more needs to be done. I think that um, the Rays... Um, coming out and donating is a great start. I think that more organizations need to use the tools and the money they have and donate to causes such as Black Lives Matter, such as the NAACP, various organizations that will help to fight against the inequalities. And I think that the more we donate and the more we help the community, the better. So I think that more donation needs to be um, seen for sure. All right, so here's my follow-up to that, and that would be, given what you're saying, I don't think you're going to agree with this, and that's totally part of this matters. So do you think that statements are enough, and you know, what do, what do you think they really mean, especially those that are really bland? I don't think that statements are enough. I think that statements are a great start. I think that um, a lot of statements have been used just to kind of save face and to say, hey, well, I've made a statement, I've done my part, but it needs to be more than that. We need to come together as a collective and we need to go into these communities and help and empower the youth and all the people who have been oppressed. We need to fix the infrastructure and some of these um, aging communities that are basically falling apart. We need to donate to organizations. There's a lot more that needs to be done besides just statements and speaking out because speaking can only do so much. And you played a lot of sports as well in the past. Uh, what are some of the sports that you've played? Um, I've played football and rugby. I played um, both of those um, sports during high school. Have you faced any racial injustice or anything like that uh, during your time in those sports? For the most part, um, my experiences playing both football and rugby were relatively positive. I did have certain teammates that were racist and did have racist thoughts and tendencies. And they used to make jokes about um, the color of my skin. And like, they used to make fun of the black kid playing rugby because that's not something that you typically see. But um, I always um, spoke to whether or not it was my coaches and my teachers my principles about the matter, and they always had something to say, and they always did something to prevent words like that from being directed towards me in the future. So I really did appreciate that. And I think that um, we need more coaches, more teachers, more principals who were just as supportive as mine and who are able to call out racism and racist jokes and um, stereotypes as soon as they come up so that they aren't a lingering problem within the sports world. I know for me, I got a lot of Jew jokes against me when I was uh, just being in school or playing sports. People would call me names or various Jewish stereotypes. Do you think there's a level of racism and anti-Semitism that is just joking? To me, I think it should all be against the rules. Like, none is too many uh, when it comes to uh, racism. Yeah, I think that um, there is no place for, um, for um, race in sports. There should be no jokes, nothing to um, alienate people or make certain people feel 
discriminated against, regardless of whether or not it's intentional or, un or unintentional. Sports should be a unifying thing. We should always use sports to create unity. And making jokes and making comments about race only divide us as people. Yeah, I would totally agree. I know when I was playing sports or uh, in school and people would say anything about being Jewish, which of course is something that has al always been discriminated against as well. So I know Justin has a couple more questions for you as well. Colonel, I'll leave you off with this one. Is there anything that you believe that people should be doing right now, whether it be, you know, reading uh, important literature, watching these documentaries to really gain a better understanding? Because, you know, yes, donating is a start. Yes, statements are a start. But what do you think that people physically should be doing? So building off of um, your point, yes, reading articles, um, books by various Black authors, watching documentaries about the Black experience, listening to music and other art forms that reflect the Black experience are a huge, huge thing. Like all three of those things need to happen because um, I think that people need to understand um, the Black experience or at least try their best to in order to fight the, um, the racism and the systemic um systemic oppression so i think that um education is the biggest tool in combating um this issue of racism in america and around the world i actually want to follow up so this will actually be the last question uh yesterday apple music decided to block off their search bar and with that they're only leaving you know black artists who are popular so everyone can kind of, you know, get that perspective and understanding. So do you think that they did the right thing? Because you talked about music being, you know, another huge piece of this alongside the literature that people are being suggested to read. Right. Yes. And I, um, I realized that um, Apple Music actually did that um, for Blackout Tuesday. And I really appreciated that. I think that um, using that day to promote Black music and various art forms created by Black creators was a great thing. I 100% agreed with it. I actually went on a bike ride at one point and um, I turned on Apple Music. Like I had that stream of music, like just in my ear, listening to it and reflecting about the whole thing. And I think that that was a great move by Apple Music. I think that more streaming platforms definitely need to do that. And yeah, it was a great move overall, 1000%. So that's basically all we've got for you today, Colonel. Uh, are there any last words or messages that you want to put out there to our listeners here on the podcast? First of all, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure being here and being able to talk about all these issues. Um, for everyone out there, just stay strong. We're going through tough times right now. It's not easy to digest everything going on in the world and going on in the media. Make sure that you take time to really not only reflect, but to take a break from the world. Do something that makes you feel happy. Do something that's enjoyable. Make sure that you take care of yourself because self-care is always the best care. Hopefully we can make it through. Hopefully we can see brighter days ahead. I'm just waiting for that day, I guess. Colonel Perrier, sport media student at Ryerson University, and I'm proud to call him my classmate. Thanks so much for coming on, Colonel. Certainly a great conversation we had with Colonel there. And now we're going into a conversation. Uh, we're catching it in the middle where we started talking about university stuff. It's Justin Levine with PWHPA goaltender and former Laurier Golden Hawk, Liz Knox. So let's jump ahead to your collegiate career now with the Golden Hawks at Wilfrid Laurier. Can you talk about your time there and what you took away as you made the jump pro? Yeah, I mean, I came into Laurier 
I'll be very candidly because this feels like a decade. Well, it was a decade ago now. <laughs> you know, I was a young kid. I was a young kid who was lucky enough to be good at hockey, and I played all sorts of sports growing up. I never catered my training to being an outstanding goalie, and I was very lucky to to find Laurier and have a coach in Cindy Eady and Rick Osborne and Jim Rayburn, and you know they molded me into you know a hockey player. I learned about a ton of things, not just you know, strength, conditioning, and nutrition, and how to balance, you know, school and hockey, but I learned a lot about my mental health, and how to be the best athlete mentally that I could be, and I didn't always learn that through, um, you know, just, just textbook, and, and, and through theory, but I learned it through experience, I mean, I had some really high highs, and I had some really low lows, and uh, I had a great team, I always had a great team, um, in front of me, not just the players, but the friends. And I think when you're, you know, 18 to 22, those are really pivotal years for you. And I, I feel very lucky and very blessed that I got to kind of figure out myself through, you know, the Laurier hockey community and um, all the support staff that I had there. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, you know, more special aspects of both the OUA and U sports. So, you know, once you came to the CWHL, I mean, this must have been a little different for you only because practices, as I've learned from my time covering yourself in the Markham Thunder, were late at night and then games A in the middle of the day or B at night during weekends. And so what was it like going from your day job to, you know, late night practices? Was that something manageable? And I mean, that's part of the reason that so many aren't going to the NWHL is that's not going to change. What was that like and was that a thing that you were able to make happen? Yeah, I think um, being a, a CIS athlete or a youth sport athlete, you know, there's much more emphasis on the academic side versus possibly the, the Division One NCAA student-athlete. So you learn how to balance your time and you're cooking your own meals in your, in your apartment versus, um, you know, always going to the, the dining hall. Um, so you certainly get a few more tools in the toolbox, I think. But at the same time, you're as a student athlete, you are more prepared to succeed on the ice. Your coaches do their job to, you know, balance your academic schedule to make sure you can make practices every day. You know, often in the mornings, like you say, and, and we're practicing every day and we're in the gym every day. So you're training your body to to perform at that peak level. Um, when you graduate, you you come to the you know the post-collegiate leagues that we've had you don't have any of those resources not only are you trying to find an entry-level job or your first job some in some cases um but you're trying to figure out how do i how do i get to the gym like how do i balance this when when am i going to find time to eat properly how am i going to get enough sleep so it was a learning curve for sure and i would say it took me a good two or three years to figure out what worked for me in terms of putting a good product on the ice but some players don't figure that out and so it becomes the option of well do you get a job or do you keep playing hockey and you know as, as the players association moves forward these are some of the things that we're trying to change that if you're the best at what you do if you're you know in the top in the upper echelon of female hockey players in canada um, we believe that you deserve and you've earned the right to do it professionally, to, to focus on your training and to continue to, to put a better product on the ice versus trying to find time to squeeze hockey in, which I think if you talk to most players after university, it, that's what it is. It's, it's either a hobby or it's, you know, I can, I can fit it in. So that's why I do it. I want to stay active. I love the team, so I, I can fit it in. It's never, you know, it's very rarely the priority unless 
you're fortunate to be able to, to, you know, somehow not work and just train full time. Right. And I think that's why it's so important to get you guys that support now more than ever, because again, that is really hard to manage. And, you know, when you say figuring out time to get to the gym, uh, eat properly, these are all things that, you know, have to be done. And so they have to be in consideration and the time has to be there to make these things happen. And, you know, even pro with kind of unideal circumstances, at least in the CWHL. And uh, as we recently learned some different things in the NWHL. So going back to your school days now, you know, what made you want to play university hockey at, at home in Canada rather than in the NCAA? Um, I mean, there was a few, a few different factors that kind of played into my decision. I wanted to be close to home. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have two amazingly supportive parents. The opportunities I had south of the border were quite far away. And, um, you know, frankly, I had an opportunity to fall through in the States and um, it left a very, you know, bad taste in my mouth. At the time, I knew that if I was going to stay in Canada, I was going to go to Laurier. A huge, huge part of that was seeing them play their national championship on Sportsnet. You know, I had a a former teammate uh, in Andrea Bevan, who was a defenseman uh, for Laurier before me. And I played two or three years with her. But I played with her in Markham, and and I saw her on TV. And, um, you know, as we were saying earlier, if you see it, you can be it. And as soon as I saw that team play and win that national championship, I knew I wanted to be a Golden Hawk. I just, it was something about it. It just clicked. Um, and like I say, I mean, I was very, very fortunate that the cards fell where they did. I wouldn't change anything for my experience that I had, but you know, sometimes you're, sometimes you're learning and you don't even know it. So it was, I was very lucky. I was very lucky that things happened as they did. Absolutely. And like you said, when you experienced that click saying, okay, I want to be a Golden Hawk. This is where I'm going. Can you talk about what some of your best memories are from your time with Laurier? Yeah. I mean, Honestly, most of my best memories have absolutely nothing to do with winner, winning or losing. And it sounds so cliche or, you know, romanticized, but I remember the rock that we have in the middle of our dressing room. Like, it has our logo on it. I remember um, the year that, you know, Laura Bartolina, Bar- Bartolini and uh, Fiona Aston's parents helped us build our locker room. And I remember the year that we painted it. And I remember, you know, having social get togethers at, at our house. We, I lived in a house with four other girls and we were all on the hockey team. And, you know, I remember having a snowball fight against our men's hockey team. Like you just remember these moments that at the time you don't even realize you're building some of the best memories of your life, but they all revolved around the hockey team. They all revolved around feeling accepted and, and feeling like I was exactly where I should be. So uh, I'm really lucky to have those memories for sure. Right. And like I said, I think that's one of the nicest parts of, you know, the OUA and really U sports to afford you these, you know, experiences and memories. So to that end, can you describe the best Sun Life Financial Arena atmosphere that you played in during during your tenure at Laurier? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's no question. Uh, we were playing Guelph. I think it was in my fourth year and we were game three. We had gone back and forth, back and forth. And there was just so much rivalry built up between our two teams and you know the fans had really gotten into it that's the most i would say you know, borderline aggressive that both fan bases had gone into a women's hockey uh a duel um and i believe we ended up winning in overtime but part of the connection with laurier and why it was such an amazing school for me was it was still a very small town you know we went out and supported women's soccer and 
men's basketball, men's football, women's lacrosse. And so whatever your team was in playoffs, you could look up in the stands and see see familiar faces, see people that you not only studied with, but you'd been there to support them. And I just remember that game. I remember, you know, the pots and pans and the signs. And I just remember the buzz of the atmosphere and, you know, even down to the, the, the smell of the rink. Like, it's, it's a thing that hockey players have when you can smell a rink. And, you know, thinking about it now, it's not something I think about often. And it was, you know, over 10 years ago, but I, can, I just can snap right back to it. It was, it was a pretty special time. Yeah, and that's actually something that I've heard before. At first, I thought it was a little bit unusual, but, you know, it's definitely part of the hockey tradition almost as, you know, as we've kind of alluded to here. So I think that's really special. So as we continue on uh, talking about your U Sports tenor, can you talk about the transition from the OUA into the professional game? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the OUA was was a very competitive conference. Certainly when we went to, to nationals, you know, we saw some powerhouses in McGill and University of Alberta and Santa Fex and... But I think you're creating the the professional atmosphere for your athletes. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what U Sports is. Yes, you're student athletes, but you're you know you're for female athletes, you're as professional that you will probably ever get in my time. You know, equipment's provided to you, physio trainers and strength conditioning coaches and specialized goalie coaches and forward and D. You're you're given the opportunity to succeed, and you don't really realize it until you're until you're done playing youth sport hockey or or NCAA for that matter. That's that's probably the, the most professional that you're gonna you're gonna feel for a long time unless you play for a national team. So I think it was, you know, one of those things that you, you try to soak in the moments, but you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And that's part of, again, our motivation to create a professional atmosphere for our players is that uh, it shouldn't be that way. It sh- You shouldn't be a graduating senior and, and hitting your stride and, and finally finding out who you are, not only as, a, as an athlete, but as a person, and then find out that you have a, a step down to play in. If anything, it should be a step up. Right, there has to be that option, and I think that that's part of the reason why former players are now going to coach in different, you know, U Sports arenas. And I'll just name a few: Corey Shevery from the Toronto Furies, Keely Irwin from the national team, Kelly Patton now with Laurier. She formerly played with the Boston Blades. So I think that having a league as an option, it it has to be there because you should, like you said, you shouldn't just have to be finding your stride. Then it's pulled to a halt. So I'll definitely agree with you to that end. Yeah, and I think that those players that you mentioned, I mean, they were all leaders on their on their respective collegiate teams, and um, they want to influence. They want to influence players, but they want to influence players at the stage in their career that they were probably most influential. Um, you know, it's not. It's certainly not to take away from minor hockey coaches because there's a lot of development to be put in there, but. When we look back on our careers, kind of as I said, I, I believe that your your 18 to 22 years are, you know, some of your most pivotal and where a coach can make the most difference in a, in a player's life, I believe, is, is in those four or five years. So, like I said, those are players that were leaders on their team well before they became coaches, but it's incredible that they've, you know, found opportunity and chosen to, to give back to um, the youth sport community. Right. I think it shows student athletes, you know, what's achievable and getting skills from really all-star players who, 
you know, had these supreme skills because they were taught it and then they applied it and they found themselves far into the game. So driving further into the collegiate atmosphere of hockey, at least from what I've heard from the Wisconsin Badgers of the NCAA, they put together a very professional environment. So in terms of Laurier, what was the experience like there? Not only the environment, but the resources that were set in place for you guys and like were practices at normal times on a frequent basis like can you talk a little bit about that stuff yeah i think that you know my time at laurier now keep in mind this is 2006 to 2011 so we're literally talking you know a decade ago we were kind of just coming of age like coming into the era that we could create a professional environment for women's hockey players and part of that is the inherent nature that hockey is a very expensive sport um it's expensive for kids growing up but it's expensive for universities to fund at laurier i mean we were very lucky to have you know the third highest team budget on campus but at the, at the same time you know i mean that's funds that are coming into the university that the university has allocated to these teams so that wasn't the reality for everybody in youth sport but certainly we we're given the opportunity to succeed and i think the reason why I say we were kind of coming of age was, you know, very shortly after I graduated, I, I believe it was uh, Simon Fraser University, you know, was able to give out an athletic scholarship. UBC, I think, joined later after that. And so we started to see more youth sport teams, specifically women's hockey teams, provide opportunity based on athletic merit. And I think when you look at the long history that the NCAA has had of being kind of the gold standard of, you know, hockey after high school for women's hockey players, youth sport was forced to become a little bit more competitive. We were just losing so many players going south of the border, and whether they had a great experience or not, I think there is value to staying in Canada. There is value to, to gaining a, you know, a Canadian education and learning some of those tools that I talked about earlier, about learning how to live independently and you know figuring out your own time management skills and finding that balance. So I think, you know, is it Laurier have been the Wisconsin Badger experience? Not even close. I mean, you're talking about two completely different budgets and, and decades of, of funding and funding allocation differences but beside the point you know talking about creating an atmosphere for their athletes laurier was you know in the top 10 i would say of the youth sport women's hockey teams at the time so it certainly added to my experience and like i said this is 10 years ago and having gone to youth sport games and knowing coaches and you know i know kelly pat so i i have a better idea of the coaches side of things now especially as i've grown and i've matured there's a push to have a special you know student athlete experience and i think there should be you know i think that's part of the selling point of being a student athlete is for women's hockey players especially like this will be the days that you remember these, these are the games that you remember these are the moments that you feel that you are respected and, and noticed for your athleticism Right. These are the things that you walk away, keep with you for the rest of your life. So, you know, when you talk about the funds and resources that are allocated towards different things in youth sports, and as we spoke about how that affected the Golden Hawks specifically, when you guys were on the road, were the meals provided by the team? Because, you know, I know from the CWHL, like travel accommodations were, however, the only thing you guys had to take care of was meals plus any, you know, anything you wanted to do on your free time. 
Yep. I mean, we had pre and post game meals on the road with Laurier. You know, it, it was not like the keg dinner by any means, but you know, we, we had fuel provided to us. And when we were driving home late from Kingston, let's say we had, you know, sandwiches on the bus, you know, Jamie Carlson, who I believe is still the uh, athletic therapist at, at Laurier, you know, made sure we had our chocolate milk and our Starburst in between periods to get our little, little sugar kicks. But yeah, I mean, that was inherent. Like as a student athlete, you expected that, right? And I think so what you're you're kind of getting at, yeah, you come to the CW and, you know, you're paying for your own meals or you get one meal on a road trip to Calgary. So, you know, pick which game you want to play well because the rest of it's on your tab. <laughs> so, you know, you're kind of figuring out how to balance how you spend your money and not just how you spend your money, but how you spend your time, right? As a student athlete, it's all taken care of for you. You just, you show up and you, you play well and um, you get your opportunities out of that, whereas you know, as, as a so-called pro athlete afterwards, I mean, there's a lot more variables that, that you're juggling. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, almost falls off the grid, which is kind of odd given that pro should mean everything is taken care of, uh, which is one of the many things that the PWHPA is pushing for. So they paid for hotels and stuff, but, you know, again, other than that, you were on your own. So let's say going down to Montreal for a weekend against the Martlets, can you describe kind of what that experience was like? And just to confirm, were hotels paid for? What were accommodations like? Yeah, I mean, everything was covered. We, um, in the OUA at that time, we, you know, we didn't travel to Montreal. We, I think our farthest road trip was uh, Queens would be Kingston and then Western or um, Windsor, sorry, going south. But yeah, I mean, everything's paid for. You just you hop on the bus, and, and by the way, you have a team bus. You know, it's the school's bus, and you're recognized as a part of Wolf Laurier Athletics. And so people know when you show up the rank who you are. Yeah, in the CW, I mean, we took we took a coach bus, but it's, you know, your Prevo or whatever air or whatever, you know, coach bus we could get. Like you say, yeah, the hotels were provided to us, but a lot of times we're on, on our own for meals on the road and stopping at McDonald's just to, to get something in our stomachs on the way home. And yeah, I mean, when you talk about your, cre- if you're trying to create a professional athlete, I mean, these are things in your itinerary that are accounted for. These are things that, you know, NHL players don't think about. Uh, you know, WNBA players, I, I certainly hope, don't have to think about, you know, your your club is looking out for you because they want you to put the best products on the ice. So then, at the end of the day, if, if you don't perform, they know that they've taken care of everything that they can. So then you can hold your players accountable. Well, you can't exactly do that if I just came off a 12-hour shift, you know, got paged at, at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to, a, a, you know, an emergency call, and now I, I came to hockey, and I'm on three hours of sleep, and I, I didn't play well. Like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, not, you're not being set up for success. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, I think that's one of the more important aspects to pay attention to. So, you know, with my last question uh, regarding U Sports and the Laurier Golden Hawks, where you spent five seasons, you spent one of those seasons having played four games at FISU. So can you speak about the recognition of what that experience was like playing for Team Canada? It's unbelievable. I mean, anytime you get to wear the Team Canada jersey, you really can't help but feel like you are living your dream, right? I mean, that's in women's hockey, you dream of playing on the national team. That's what we have. But beyond that, Fushu was a multi-sport event. So, I mean, our uh, athlete village backed out onto the ski jump hill. So late at night, we could see it lit up, and we could see athletes practicing their aerial jumps. And uh, we got to go to the halfway competition. And, 
to got to go to curling, you know, which my first year roommate, Danielle Inglis, was, was competing at. So it was the closest, I mean, I believe it's the closest that you can come to the Olympics. You're multi-sport, you're international, and you just get to have that feeling of, you know, camaraderie and, and pride in, in being Canadian um, at the same time that you're so humbled and feel so lucky to be meeting athletes of all walks of life. And I mean, a, a corny but story that I will never forget was it was in Erzurum, Turkey, the, the Fichu game and um, you know the Turkish team definitely did not have the resources that we had and we have here in Canada you know they're using old equipment and probably unsafe equipment at times understandably the caliber of hockey is much lower than the standard that, that it is in Canada but they played a game and they got you know annihilated they, they were you know borderline embarrassed on their home home soil so we kind of you know talked as a team and we said okay you know well, what's our number like what's a, what's a comfortable number to to be up by so we decided that after five goals we were going to give them you know a, an experience of hockey not just you know we, we didn't want to mop the floor of them we wanted to give them an experience of what sportsmanship was like and how we want people to remember us by so you know we, we played the game we gave them opportunity their fans were incredible i mean the the, the place was packed and it was to the point, like, if they crossed our blue line, you know, the fans are going insane. And it made for a fun game. And at the end of the game, um, you know, we, we lined up in two lines um, outside their door to, to escort them off the ice. And we saluted our sticks to them. And, um, you know, there was girls with tears in their eyes thanking us and shaking our hands and giving us hugs. And, I mean, that's what that platform is for. That's what the Olympics is about. That's what, you know, international competition is about. It's Yes, it's about winning, of course. It's always about winning. But it's about leaving an impact on the, on the sport and leaving an impact on a team that definitely was not afforded the same opportunity that we had to succeed. So it, I felt very, very lucky to be able to be a part of the, the Fiji Games. And last year when Ailish Forfar had the chance and we were in playoffs and she was crushing it, I, I just told her, like, there's no question in my mind you should do it it's it's an, ex- an experience unlike anything else yeah i've spent the last couple of days watching just different fisu videos different sports and it's something so special that the players really appreciate the fans get behind and hearing that you guys did that for the team that that was struggling i that was a really awesome show of support and again you don't see that in your ordinary pro sport or just sport at all for that matter but you know when you go internationally it really just goes to show how much emotion it goes into it and so again, I think that that is really, really awesome that that was something that you guys got together and decided to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it livens the, you know, the Olympic spirit. It's, it's why people watch and invest in the Olympics every year. It's not just about the pride of, you know, seeing your country do well, but it's about stories in between and, you know, the rags to riches or the overcoming obstacles or overcoming injuries and all those stories. It's, it's like a piece of humanity that you get through sport. And I think, you know, the feature games is my closest connection to that. So with that being said, Liz, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening. I really, really appreciate it. No problem, Justin. Thanks for having me and, uh, you know, best of luck. I'm sure as you're, you're trying to navigate the, uh, you know, online learning and everything that's changing for you in your life. And we appreciate your time in women's hockey.
Welcome back to the What's Up With You podcast. Uh, before we get into anything else, I'd like to say thank you to both Colonel and to Liz Knox for the time they gave us. So before we get into our reverse cross-country skate, I'm going to throw it to Ben Steiner for a special statement on this week's occurrence. 49 firmly stands against any forms of racism, bigotry, misogyny, or un other unequal treatments of individuals. We stand with those against discrimination and will not tolerate those who do not want to see change. Our staff will continue to tell the stories of everybody in Canadian university sports and Canadian stories in the NCAA, regardless of background. That's a statement we put out on our social media a couple days ago, but we thought it would be important to reiterate now following those two conversations. Now, getting into the cross-country skate on a bit of a brighter note, uh, lots of players going pro. Um, I know there's a few that we sort of want to take a look at here. Let's start out all the way in the Maritimes with UPI Cameron Kiley uh, heading to the Iowa Wild of the AHL. That's a big one, eh? That is indeed a big one. He will stay in North America and persuade his dreams uh, with an NHL organization. So a lot of uh, really positive stuff with that one. Also in a connection to an NHL organization uh, is Cody Curran uh, coming out of the University of Calgary. Um, he spent time from 2010 to 2015 at you, Calgary, as part of the Dinos. Uh, I know you wrote the piece on 49 about him, if you want to speak a bit about Cameron Kiley. Yeah, so uh, we saw some really positive sign uh, when we learned that Curran had signed his deal with the Anaheim Ducks. Now, it's unclear as to whether he will go right up to the Ducks or if he will be in the AHL first with the San Diego Gulls. However, again, really positive when you see a player who is on the mission to the NHL, regardless of where it is they begin. And so Cameron Kelly uh, going to the AHL, huge step in the right direction for him. Yeah, maybe Kylie will take a similar route to Derek Ryan and now Cody Curran, where you go from U Sports into the AHL and then go over to Europe for a couple of years before finally breaking into the NHL. Of course, uh, Derek Ryan was in Hungary and then Sweden with a touch in Austria as well. And Curran was the Swedish League MVP with Rogel BK and Canucks prospect Niles Hoglander as well alongside him. So a lot of players do go to Europe, and some of these players going to Europe are coming out of the Ottawa GGs who had a successful year this year. They made the Queen's Cup final. Yes, they did make the Queen's Cup final, and that that's a huge, a huge thing when you look at players' success and what they have the ability to do to contribute to that team. And then, you know, when outside teams are looking for attractions in a player, that's something huge that they look at. Because if they see that, okay, this person has experience there, and not only that, but they know how to contribute too, then this is a player that we want to go after, this is one we want to help develop, and this is one we want to see on the big stage. So definitely something big there. Yeah, a lot of players do head to Europe, and most notably this year, it seems like France is a very big attraction. Uh, so coming from Ottawa, Cody Drover, Adam Beveridge, and Brendan Jacome are all going to France. Uh, if you want to touch on a couple of those players. Yeah, so I will touch on Brendan Jacome, who, like you mentioned, is coming out of Ottawa. He is not the biggest offensive producer. However, uh, his defensive skills obviously would make up for that. So let's take a look at his stats for a minute. This past season with the GGs, he scored eight goals and 14 assists, and that made for 22 points. But if you look at the year prior, 27 games, you saw 13 goals, 16 assists for 29 points. A little bit higher there, but his numbers in the two years prior were both low. Uh, and that's after coming out of the OJHL, where unlike his U Sports numbers, he was almost a consistent producer. So um, will a change of scenery do the trick? It's certainly possible. This is a, a good move. Anytime that you're seeing a player you know, persuade their dreams and go pro, even if it's overseas, that's a huge commitment to them. So, um, you know, we'll see what comes out of it. 
Pro hockey is always a step up regardless of any amateur league you're coming from, whether it be U Sports or the OHL or really any amateur league that's out there. But I think for a guy who had so much success with Ottawa over his five years as a GG, Brendan Jacob will settle in just fine with Amiens in the French First League. Yeah, I think that he'll find his footing there. Also coming from Ottawa, Cody Drover. Uh, he's heading also to France with Mulhou. I probably didn't pronounce that too well. Uh, not a francophone tongue myself, but uh, if you want to speak about Drover, who has been an offensive threat throughout his five years in U Sports. Yeah, he certainly has, and I think that he's going to be a huge contributor when he joins Mulhouse in France. You know, like you said, he's an offensive threat. So here's the one thing I'm going to bring up because I think that there's some question to this end before I dig into his stats. You know, that's what do teams look more for? Defense, offense, or do they fairly evaluate both sides? I think when it comes to leading a team, I think that offense is that most important part. So like you said, him being an offensive threat, that's probably what uh, led Mulhouse to uh, adding him. So let's Let's take a look at his season numbers. Six goals, 27 assists, and 33 points in 27 games. Whereas the year prior, he had 40 points with 15 goals and 25 assists in 28 games. So he certainly has some potential, and we'll see what he offers to Mulhouse. Definitely a good addition. Going over to France, there's, as I said, a lot of guys going over to France. Just from the GG so far, Graham Hunt, their goaltender, heading to the France second division. Uh, Cody Drover, who we spoke about, Mulhouse. Uh, Adam Beveridge he- heading over to Tours in the first division. And then Amiens is adding three guys from U Sports. Uh, they're adding, of course, Brendan Jacome, who we spoke about, as well as Carlton's Alexander Boivin and Brock Schuyler Pacheco. So they're looking a lot at U Sports, and I think it's great to see uh, U Sports getting this opportunity, whether it be across the French League or just with Amiens. Absolutely. I think that their scouts are being smart by observing as much hockey as they can across the globe. And I think that, you know, this provides a great opportunity for student athletes to get their first taste uh, if they're deserving of it. And even if it's overseas, these players don't care. It's a perfect opportunity and a perfect way to start out. So it's a huge thing. They'll absolutely say yes to it in an instant. And, you know, we saw that with another player who we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Uh, so heading over to another European league, but not France, is Thomas Schustal from Lakehead. He's heading over to his homeland, the Czech Republic, for a hockey club, Cometa Brno. Not a club that many people have heard of, but definitely a successful player uh, played with the Czech junior team, if you want to speak a bit about Thomas Schustal. Sure thing. So, Sustal was with Lakehead University, uh, where he has spent two seasons, and his numbers, they're not bad. If you take a look at his past season, 14 goals, 18 assists for 32 points. So that was impressive. The year prior, his numbers were a little lower. Five goals, nine assists, 14 points. So... It's kind of hard to tell where he might fall only because his WHL numbers were also fluctuating up and down. So I think that this should be a positive sign. And again, change of scenery can do it. He's made pro, so he's clearly good enough. And so I think that this is something good and returning home to his homeland will be a really positive thing for him. Yeah, definitely around some familiar surroundings. Also coming from Lakehead, one of the many guys who commit to the ECHL after their esports careers, uh, Callum Fryer joining the Toledo Walleye, which has actually used a player for a brief time and then he left to esports. That was uh, Matt Santos on the Ryerson Rams. He played a number of games with the Toledo Walleye in the ECHL and came to esports and Callum Fryer is going the other way. He's going from Lakehead in esports to the Toledo Walleye in the ECHL. Yeah, it's funny how that works because usually most of the time you expect the student 
athletes to go from school into the ECHL. So that was a little bit different, but oh, nonetheless, these guys are getting their opportunities where they can get them. So even if the pattern's unusual, a huge commitment to them for doing it. And lastly, we're going to talk about uh, Mikhail Agard. He left the uh, Guelph Griffins midway through the playoffs. They weren't too happy about that, even though he left very close to the European deadline to join Grizzlies Wolfsburg at that point in the DEL, the German League. Uh, but he's not going to be with Wolfsburg next year. Where is he going to be, Justin? Yeah, so he's going to be with Moto Hockey, which is a little bit different. That is a league in Sweden. And so it's funny because he goes from Germany to Sweden, continuing pro career. And when he was with Grizzlies Wolfsburg, he was only with them for about half the season, if that, um, you know, coming out of the University of Guelph. Again, good news there. And, you know, I'll quickly dig into his numbers. So this past season, I think he really impressed, which is why the DEL was looking at him. 22 goals, 24 assists for 46 points. That was huge for him. Huge for the Guelph Griff. Fortunate that they didn't have him for a playoff run, but you know what? When you get your opportunities, you take it. Yeah, definitely a good opportunity for him, and he's going to be playing in the Swedish second division, a league where a bunch of top players have played. Uh, so Modo is actually the club that Henrik and Daniel Sedin played at when they were coming up uh, as young prospects. Of course, they're now retired, but he's going to be playing along much maligned Toronto Maple Leaf, Frank Corrado, who Mike Babcock sent to the press box more often than he put on the ice. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately the truth. That was, in fact, how it ended for him. There was never a spot for him. The Marlies didn't really make much use of him when Sheldon Keefe was the head coach there. So, you know, they didn't see the room. The Pittsburgh Penguins got him, didn't make the best use of him either. It's interesting to see that this is what happens to players who either don't find their footing or, you know, that being in Corrado's case, uh, now he'll join some younger players uh, overseas of Moto Hockey. I find it kind of interesting how all these storylines can be connected back to U Sports. And so Corrado is going to be playing with Agard, who played in U Sports, but Corrado was coached by Mike Babcock, who won a national championship with the Lethbridge Pronghorns when he coached back in the 1980s with Lethbridge. So there's all these weird connections you can draw from Moto Hockey to Frank Corrado to the Toronto Maple Leafs to the Vancouver Canucks, and you can all draw them back to Mikhail Agard and Mike Babcock and the University of Lethbridge and the University of Guelph, which is always sort of neat when you can draw those parallels. It almost sounds like a bit of a strange trade tree. I know Steve Dangle is one guy who does a lot of those trade trees and uh, maybe we should start doing like a U-Sports transfer trade tree and all the connections of how Frank Corrado really connects to U-Sports. But uh, that's sort of all we've got for the cross-country skate. I do want to mention that McGill is ha having an athlete turn pro uh, McGill Hoops grad Alex Kiss Rusk, who led Mc the McGill Martlets to a national championship back in 2017, has signed to play pro basketball for the Spear Ladies, a Division One team based in Charlois, Belgium. Always good to see youth sports players go professional in whichever sport it is. Of course, the Canadian Elite Basketball League opening a ton of doors for professional basketball players on the men's side domestically. And the Canadian Premier League, the same on the men's side for soccer. To close off this, I thought we would just talk a bit about some of our favorites in the OUA. So we visited a number of arenas this year uh we also saw a bunch on oua tv so justin what would you say is your favorite arena um, okay, so I've been to a few and I've got different thoughts about many, as I'm sure you do as well. So I'm going to list one factor for each and then I'll come down to picking my favorite. I've seen uh, where the Waterloo Warriors play, which I believe is called Ice Fields, if I'm not wrong. And it's unique in that it's all made out of wood. Uh, the ceiling's got this very cool surrounding oval kind of feel uh, with it. So it's very, very, very unique. 
the shape of it is interesting too, but obviously big enough to to fit a full uh, ice sheet for obviously the Water of the Warriors. So I think that it's really cool. But when it comes down to it, Madame Athletic Center already has a history to it, having previously been home to the Toronto Maple Leafs as Maple Leaf Gardens. Along with that, it's in my home city, and so it's easy to get to. It's been well upkept, and it's now home to the Ryers and Rams. That is my favorite. For me, I'm going a bit of a wild card here. I'm actually going to say McConnell Arena, McGill University's arena. It's just your true old barn. It's right on campus. It's a two-minute walk from the student residences. I didn't see a McGill game there, um, but I did see just a community hockey game there, and I walked in just to check it out when I was up in Montreal covering the U Sports National Soccer Championship over at University of Montreal. Definitely a great barn there, your classic sort of thing. Very opposite to what Ryerson has, and I've also been to Carleton and York. Uh, both schools sort of your modern feels community center-esque, whereas McConnell Arena was just your classic old hockey barn. So both of us, we've traveled around eSports to an extent, but a lot of it we've seen uh, through our laptop screens, through our television. So who in the OUA, at least, do you think has the best broadcast? Of course, the Guelph Griffins and Griff Vision were awarded the OUA's award for that just last week. Yeah, I'd be biased if I said Guelph for that reason, so I'm actually going to steer away from that. I think that it might be a tight battle even if I were to say between Laurier or York for me uh, and for different reasons, which, you know, I'm not going to fully disclose. But you know what? Just for the work that they've done, I'm going to go with the York Lions. Yeah, the York Lions, definitely a good broadcast over there. Put on, I believe it's by the College of Sports Media, so definitely some smart minds behind that. And I know at least their women's hockey is uh, Jared Bapti, a good friend of mine, on the call over there. Of course, I have a bit of a biased opinion uh, being part of the Rams Live uh, broadcast for Ryerson. I think we're the only school that has a full production studio, but I do know that the University of Toronto also puts on some very high-quality broadcasts, as we saw watching the Macaw Cup Final or uh, any of the successful University of Toronto Varsity Blues games uh, this year. So a lot of success from really across the OUA uh, when it comes to broadcasting. It's taken a big step up. I think both of us can say it's finally watchable uh, at at least most of the schools. Yeah, it finally is watchable. And like you mentioned, I think that Jared Bapti, also a friend of mine, uh, does a really great job presenting Lions hockey. And again, it's through the College of Sports Media, like you said. So no, I'm definitely in favor there. I've watched uh, the University of Toronto present at Ryerson Rams uh, semifinal game. And I must say that, you know, their quality is not bad by any means. So they're, they're all relatively close for the most part. Other than some sound difficulties, I might say, they're all not far off from one another. I would tend to agree. I know there's a few schools where maybe the white balance is a bit off, but think, especially if OUA TV goes to a subscription model, like we spoke about before, I could see money being put into some of these productions that aren't exactly watchable yet. Uh, some things you can't really change, like Laurentian, they have their camera near the blue line, which of course isn't ideal, but that's just the facility they have, and that's a lot harder than white balancing a camera. So that's really all we've got. Uh, Justin, thanks for coming on again. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go back to our website and click the link again or you can of course rewind wherever you want in the show so that's all for the cross-country skate this week and that's all for the what's up with you podcast this week there wasn't much that happened but we managed to put a show together so that's all and we'll be back next week of course you can find us at 49-sport.com and at 49 sportnet on all socials